Hello and welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Jankowski, and today I'm very excited to be broadcasting from Money 2020 and to be meeting with Tim Chen. Tim is the CEO and co-founder of NerdWallet, where he sets the strategic vision and is determined to give consumers clarity around all of life's financial decisions. In addition to leading NerdWallet, Tim sat on the most recent Consumer Advisory Board of the CFPB and was appointed to the board of the National Foundation for Credit Counseling. Since 2009, he has evolved NerdWallet to the leading personal finance content platform with over 100 million dedicated users. Before we start, we want to say a quick thank you to the team at Money 2020 USA for hosting Wharton FinTech in Las Vegas for their annual conference to meet with and interview thought leaders in the FinTech industry. We'd also like to thank Wharton FinTech's platinum sponsor, the Stevens Center for Innovation and Finance. The Stevens Center is the premier research, education, and thought leadership institution in the world for financial technology. Tim, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So could you start by telling us about your background? Sure. Uh, so, you know, before before doing NerdWallet, I was actually working as an investor. You know, after college, I went into sell-side equity research covering semiconductor capital equipment. Uh, and then after that, I went to the buy side and, you know, did long-short equity, you know, mostly in TMT. So, uh, yeah, quite a quite a left turn starting a company from there. Got it. How did you go from working on Wall Street to uh, to starting your own company and starting your wallet? Yeah, well, I got fired at the end of 2008, um, <laughs> so I had some time on my hands. But coincidentally, uh, my sister called me like right around then, and she asked me for help finding a credit card. So I said, "Sure, let me Google that for you." <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I was I was kind of surprised by the results. I mean and irritated too, because it was a bunch of like infomercials instead of things that were trying to help you answer the question you had asked. Um, and so, you know, like being a financial analyst at the time, my first instinct was like, make a spreadsheet. So I made a spreadsheet with all the credit cards from the six biggest banks. They're actually like, honestly, two or 300 of them. It was pretty surprising. Um, and then I shared that spreadsheet with her, but like that process of building the spreadsheet was actually super informative and helped me understand like how you should think about this. And so I got passed along to some friends as well. And I thought, well, I've done all this work. Why don't I put this on the internet and make it available for everyone? And like, if you fast forward to today, like if I reflect on the consumer problem, um, you know, in the rearview mirror, I'd say like, you know, like people who have choice when it comes to their money. So like not necessarily people who are just seeking credit access, but people with real choice, um, they get kind of stressed out because there's so many choices, right? So they don't want to feel like a chump and pick something really terrible, um, but they don't want to spend the whole weekend building a spreadsheet either. Uh, so that's where NerdWallet comes in, right? Like we do the homework for you and we make it super accessible. My fiance is shopping for a credit card right now, so I'm gonna have to refer her to, uh, to NerdWallet. Yeah. Um, but so you started, uh, you started with a credit card. Uh, this is around the time of the crisis. Um, how did you, how how did you grow since then? Yeah. So we started branching out into more and more verticals. Like it was actually really just uh, credit cards early on, but then maybe like um, three or four years later, we started adding other verticals because really it's much the same problem in every vertical, right? There's just so many choices. You don't know how to sort between them. Um, so like our typical user experience is like, okay, there's a thousand choices. We ask you two or three questions to understand like what you're going for and we get it down to like three choices and then we make it really easy to compare between them and then put the power in your hands. So it's the common user experience. That's great. That's great. And so as a user, um, am I, if I were to use NerdWallet, I log on to your website and what, what happens from there? I just select a few options for my situation and then I'm given recommendations. Is that? Yeah. So we're, we're like, a, we're free for consumers. Um, you know, most of the, most of our stuff can actually be accessed, you know, just as a guest, you don't have to log in. 
um, our operating principle is like if you tell us more uh, we can help you out more um, but you know a lot of things we don't need to know much about you like if you're searching for a high yield savings account right the rates are gonna be the same for everyone they're all FDIC injured we don't need to know anything about you but if you're shopping for like a loan it's not like an airline seat where everyone's price is the same uh, your price which is your interest rate actually depends on your credit situation um, so we ask you to create a membership and we pull your credit uh, soft pool and then uh, show you all the options out there right so um, it's really about like what's useful for the for the consumer got it got it and on the note of the consumer uh, what type of consumers do you generally see using NerdWallet? yeah it's so it's pretty broad-based because we have about 100 million adults a year coming to our site, right? So um, we see a big drop off, like above 70. I think there's just like less familiarity with using technology. Although my dad is 75 and he uses NerdWall all the time. <laughs> and we see no one really under the age of 20 using it because you wouldn't be making any financial decisions because you're still living with mom and dad, right? Um, so uh, yeah, there's, it's really like everyone in between. And is it people across all uh, credit bands uh, all incomes, yeah. or does it does it sort of narrow and, and or or cluster in certain certain areas? Well, it's pretty broad based. I think there's a, a skew towards um, consumers who have options because, um, like, if you think about a marketplace, the mentality you have going in, like seeking education and choosing products, is which product is best for me, right? If you're more like, um, uh, you know, financially struggling a bit, um, you care more about credit access. So your number one question is, will I qualify? Right, and so like, I think for the will I qualify crowd, that's where services like free credit score are really po uh, powerful because that's exactly the product you need. Um, you need to know how to raise your score by 30 points so you can get that like near prime credit card and then you need to see the offers available, right? Um, so we have, a, we have that product, but I, our, our real bread and butter is uh, helping consumers with choice navigate those choices. And you've spoken in the past, or I've heard you speak in the past, around being very uh, consumer-focused, customer-focused. Yeah. How do you how do you operationalize that? How do you understand your customers? Yeah, so uh, we 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 think about this like every every consumer-touching product. Um, we do some form of user research and iteration over time on. And I, I think that's really the only way that you get good at it. Because like no one really knows what the right experience is until you try a bunch of things and keep on making it slightly better every week. One, one of the things people misunderstand about our content is that most of it is evergreen, right? Like it covers money questions. It's not like we're covering the news of the day, but more like what is mortgage insurance, right? Like the, when you get a mortgage, you, this question naturally pops up. And well, there's a lot of ways you can answer like what is mortgage insurance? But that's where we test and iterate and try to come up with like the right altitude of what we tell people so that you know they can get it quickly without too much like mental exertion and move on with their lives, right? So that's that's where the user testing on the content comes in. Got it. So a lot of what you do is creating the the content that would uh, educate consumers. Yep, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Could you tell us then about um, how you actually make money, like sure. what your business model looks like? Yeah. So we're matchmakers, right? Like we get paid a bounty when a consumer. Um, basically originates a financial product, whether that's like funding a loan or like funding a new high yield savings account or getting approved for a credit card. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's a very success driven model. And yeah, those, those bounties uh, vary, but I think what sets us apart is that we have a separation between our editorial team and our business team. So our editorial team um, has the right to veto products from being on the site. They don't actually know which products pay us how much. 
and they're the ones that write all the reviews. Um, they come up with the rubrics for our star rating systems and they give the star ratings. Uh, so my hope is that anyone who uses this site can really kind of like taste the difference in terms of like it trying to be helpful as opposed to selling you stuff all the time. I was going to ask about the tension between being incentivized by the, I guess, the partner referrals versus wanting to write and recommend what's best for the consumer, but it seems like yeah. you guys have a good system for, for managing that. Yeah, there's always going to be tension there, but um, yeah, we have a good system for that. Yeah, yeah that's great. Um, so what's, what's next for NerdWallet? Yeah, I mean, I think, okay, so if I think about we, what we're doing today, we are serving people who actively have questions. These are people who know to ask the question, right? It's like, I want a house. Oh, I think I need a mortgage. Okay, I'm gonna go learn about that, right? But I think there's a much bigger market of people who don't know what they don't know. Like, they don't know, wow, now is a really good time for me to refi. I've been working, my student loan, I've been working for two years, my credit's gone up, it's probably a great time to like lower my rates, right? Or I don't know that this is a good time to reshop my car insurance because my neighbor's paying less for me, less than me for a very similar bundle of stuff, right? Um, so it's really about like building profiles, uh, financial profiles from our members and then nudging them when they should be doing something smart. So I think that would relieve a lot of like, not only like anxiety about missing something, um, but yeah, it would reduce unforced errors, right? Like people would just always know what's up and be much more proactive about that. Yeah, that's right. And people might not know an opportunity exists to save money on something. So yep. it's a great way of being proactive. Yeah. That's how right. do you um, how do you go about being able to understand uh, consumers' needs to building that financial profile of of what let's say I might need as a consumer? Yeah, so I think there's some um, there's some con consistent things that apply to many consumers. Um, so you know, you could argue a consumer actually has like a balance sheet and an income statement and a cash flow statement, right? And so you get a lot of that through, say, like their credit report. You get a sense of like their uh, loans, uh, their loan balances, and you know when they originated those loans and maybe even the terms of some of those loans, right? Now, if you integrate with their um, accounts, like their their savings and checking and their 401k, you get a sense of, you know, the asset side of their balance sheet, right? Um, and then, you know, as if you integrate with their checking account, you might get a sense of their income too. So now you have a slightly more holistic picture. And then, um, then we, you know, we, we use a bit of machine learning to understand like, well, where are the opportunities to nudge people that they respond to and find valuable? And then, you know, we start building models on top of that data set. And then it continues to grow from there and, and gets right. even more robust. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's great. great. Well, I'm excited to see how that works. Yeah. Um, so we'd love to switch gears for a second and talk about your experience as an entrepreneur. Okay. So you've built NerdWallet, I've been told, from bootstrapping $800 at the start to right. what's now a $500 million company. Right. Uh, any lessons learned from your experience as an entrepreneur? Oh, yeah, yeah, a bunch. I mean, I guess, like, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting coming out of, like, a, a very narrow background, right? Like I had worked in finance for, I don't know, call it six, seven years before that. There's just like a way things were done. There is a way people are evaluated. There's a very specific set of like analytical skills that are like highly valued, right? Um, and then you go into this totally unstructured problem, which is like figure out how to make, or in our early days, it was like figure out how to make people show up to our website who don't know we exist, right? Um, and then you start uh, gaining a lot of appreciation that well, there's a lot of diverse skill sets that you have to really bring together to make this work. 
Um, and a lot of the things that you start to value are quite different than what you valued in uh, financial services, right? Uh, so, you know, things like, you know, some people are really great at making groups of people work well together. Some people are really great at um, communication, like narrowing things down to their essence and communicating effectively. Uh, some people are really great at architecting engineering platforms to, for, to meet the future needs as well as the current needs, right? Um, so it's really about bringing these people together. So. Um, I think one of the first realizations was like, wow, I don't really know the right um, social network to build this company. Um, in hindsight, I wish I had like worked at a, a very high-performing uh, mid-sized tech company for a little bit to like kind of see what good looks like, kind of get to know some people, and you know to help recruit them behind the vision. Um, I think another thing that uh, became really apparent was just like along the way, my job changed a lot. Um, you know, I always use the basketball analogy but like early on you're the point guard you're trying to like score points you're trying to get people motivated and you know it's all you 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 and then at some point in order to be effective you have to really switch to being the basketball coach your job becomes to put the right players on the court and there's pretty low probability it's you once you have the ability to recruit talented people right like you shouldn't put yourself in that point guard most likely um and then you start to think uh after that about like you know, say when you're like 100 people, you start thinking a lot about the government of the company. You're the legislative, judicial, executive branch. You also are the regulator. And there's a lot of things that you can do that have really positive impact or really bad unintended consequences, right? Um, that's also a very steep learning curve. And by the way, a totally different um, skill set than you know, you've had previously, right? And so again, there's people who are really talented at um, setting up these systems and processes from other places, but it's really hard to know um, who is good at this versus who claims they're good at this and has no idea what they're doing, right? So that's that's a big struggle as an entrepreneur in that phase. And then, yeah, all along, you're trying to really balance um, investing in long-term versus short-term um, uh, investments and balancing like near-term profitability, long-term growth, yeah. Yeah. So what I'm hearing from the first two points you had mentioned is a, a common theme is just the importance of people and finding the right people. Over time, how have you refined your ability to find the right people and hire the right people? Yeah. So I have a bit of, of process now, which is um, before I hire for the role, I go and meet people who are widely regarded to be like very good at that particular function, whether it's people ops or design or whatever, right? Like I'll go out and I'll send out LinkedIn messages and just meet people. And then I ask them like, well, if you're in my shoes, how would you go and hire someone for this particular type of role? And often they give like, well, my, my rubric would be like qualities A, B, and C, right? And I say like, well, do you know anyone who's looking and referring? And sometimes even they opt in, right? <laughs> so um, that process not only generates leads, but also gives you a good sense of like what good looks like, right? And then in terms of the actual interview, I mean, I do my best, but like my, you know, the longer I do this, the more convinced I am that I that interviews are not a very effective way of evaluating an executive. What's far more valuable is, you know, reference checks from people that they don't provide to you, right? Um, because really, like, what you're evaluating is can they hire and inspire people? Are they good leaders? Do they communicate well? Can they lead a team, right? And, like, people can be very misleading in interviews, but you can't really, like, get around the fact that, like, two companies ago, you know, everyone loved you and you're a great leader, right? So that's that's what I look for. So 
I agree with your sentiment that interviews may not be the best proxy for good quality leaders. For reference checks, even that can sometimes be difficult to gauge, right? Because people might provide folks who they expect to say good things about them. How do you go about finding like what the actual truth or what the actual story is? Yeah, well, okay, so in terms of who they provide you, like to me the red flag is that they provide like a really bizarre narrow swath of people like throughout an organization. The good sign is like if they provide like a really, like all the people cross-functionally that they work closely with, right? It's like, okay, well, there's the CEO and the CEO and the head of marketing and whatever, and yeah, anyone else you want to talk to, I'm happy to give you, right? Um, my red flags when I call the people they provide for me are like a qualified commentary about like, well, they would work well under this type of situation or that type of situation, but you know, maybe not all types of situation or like, you know, some people provide references and they just like, it's kind of hard to get the references to respond. Other people, you provide, they provide references and they like call you back in like two minutes and they're like, oh my God, this person's amazing, right? Um, and then it is the next step beyond that is like branching out a bit, um, using LinkedIn to figure out like who you know at that company that overlapped with them and then, you know, talking candidly with people you know a little bit better. Got it. That's a great approach. Um, yeah. I love it. And then the other thing you had mentioned, going back to the first question from your experience as an entrepreneur, was that balance of short-term versus long-term vision. Right. Um, how do you balance that? Uh, is my first question. And then the second question is, I was curious to dig into your experience fundraising because I understand you've taken very little in VC money. So yeah, I, was, yeah. I was hoping to touch on that and get your experience with that. Yeah, I, I'd say overall I'm very um, long-term oriented in, in terms of my decision-making. So I'll give you some specific examples, but... One of the biggest benefits of being a bootstrap company is you don't have a board who cares about like short-term results, right? And so, so here's an example, right? It's like early on, we're like, how do we make people show up to this website, right? Um, the very long-term oriented approach is like, okay, if we build like great content over time and then you know build an organic traffic base, like this is going to yield good results, right? The very short-term oriented approach would be like, okay, well, we need to figure out how to do AdWords. We need to figure out like paid marketing. And then your entire like roadmap becomes centered around like, well, if I'm paying $10 for a visitor, I better like optimize the bejesus out of my pages so I can make $10.05 off someone I buy. And that, that ends up dictating everything about the direction of your company and your brand, right? Because that doesn't tend to lead to great consumer-friendly outcomes, right? Um, so there's that. Um, I think like finding the right investor um, is really about like, well, do they have a long-term orientation like you? Do they have common uh, principles and beliefs? Um, if so, that's that's the best possible outcome, right? Then you're aligned on what you're trying to do. I think what what's what to watch out for is if you know someone is you know like they have to like exit their position in four years because of the fun life or this or that, and then it kind of puts them in a weird position, or they have to like. Um, you know, this is fund one, they've got fund two coming and they really need to like return money and sh show a marked up return. And so, you know, they're, they're behaving in ways that are not like rational for the long-term growth of the company, but rather for reasons specific to the fund. So I'd watch out for that. That's a good point to look at the, the VC investors' incentives and right. how that might affect their behavior. Right, exactly. So this is great advice for entrepreneurs. Switching gears a bit to advice for somebody who's just entering the fintech industry. Any career advice that you'd give to someone? Yeah, I mean, you know, my, my personal opinion for career is that tours of duty are great. Like, try different things, try different industries. You end up learning a lot. You end up observing a lot of, like, what good looks like. And I think like 
learning through observation is extremely powerful, right? Like getting dropped in the middle of a super high functioning company for a while, getting dropped in the middle of a dysfunctional company, trying to figure things out. They're all learning experiences, right? Um, if I were to say like, how do you pick a company that's gonna do well in the long run in FinTech? I would think a lot about, um, you know, some FinTech companies are purely um, competing with say the incumbent players by trying to offer like lower interest rates or more lower fees or whatever. I think that's a really tough game in the long run because the incumbents have such huge scale advantages. And yeah, I think that's like a tough business model, maybe like ride sharing or something, right? Um, I think the really good um, companies uh, have a brand. They're very, uh, they have deep moats around what they're doing. They don't have pricing pressure. Um, and so I, I, th I think those are great companies to get behind. That's great advice. Yeah. Um, and on a final note, separate from your work at NerdWallet, we'd love to hear a bit about what you do for fun outside the office. So I, <laughs> I'm actually a huge nerd at heart, which means like I, I actually feel the most energized when I'm learning. So I read S1s for fun, <laughs> which in 10Ks, I do, you know, I do investing as a hobby and I read books on like pretty diverse topics. So yeah, that's, that's what I do for fun now that I have a nine-week gold kit. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. Is that the inspiration for Nerd Wallet? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, I think there's just joy in like digging in and really understanding the guts of something. So I love doing that. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Tim. It was a pleasure to speak with you. Really appreciate getting to know you a little bit and hearing your advice. So best of luck. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to do it.